welcome to the World Languages Collaborative Podcast, a series of podcasts aiming to help language teachers improve their craft through innovative ideas, strategies, and best practices from expert teachers. Each year, the World Languages Collaborative brings language teachers together from all over the state of Georgia and beyond to exchange ideas and perspectives on teaching and learning languages. This podcast is an extension of the World Languages Collaborative and is brought to you by the Department of World Languages and Cultures at Georgia Southern University. I'm your host, Grant Gearhart, Associate Professor of Spanish at Georgia Southern. We have a very special guest on the podcast today, the 2022 Georgia State Teacher of the Year, Ms. Sherry Dennis. Sherry is now in her 12th year with the Savannah-Chatham County Public School System and is presently an ESOL teacher at Hess K-8. In addition to being the State Teacher of the Year, Sherry was also the 2021 Savannah-Chatham County District Teacher of the Year. She has degrees from Georgetown University and Stanford University, and after a stint in advertising, she relocated to Savannah and began teaching while also finishing an MAT in Early Childhood Education from Armstrong Atlantic State University, which is now Georgia Southern University Armstrong Campus in Savannah. In today's episode, we discuss a variety of issues surrounding ESOL education, the need for teachers to work together in order to ensure success for students learning English while going to school, as well as some useful tips that are beneficial for all types of language teachers. Please welcome Sherry to the podcast. All right, Sherry, welcome to the podcast. Uh, we're really glad to have you here. Tell us a little about your interest in languages. Uh, well, my interest in languages really started in middle school. Um, at my high school, or at my middle slash high school, we had to take Latin in eighth grade. And it kind of started from there. And from eighth grade on, I asked my counselors to allow me to take two languages at a time because I really loved them. So I was either always taking Latin and Spanish or Spanish and French. And even my senior year, uh, I did a after school program in Japanese that was offered by a community foundation. When I found out about this opportunity, I just kind of jumped on it. And I, I just really had a passion for languages. I had these wonderful teachers who were so supportive and energetic and really pushed us to become conversational and just made it fun. And I really, really loved it. So I just kept going with it. That's really cool. I had a similar experience in high school. I had to ask my Spanish teacher if she would let me do Spanish three and four because um, our school only offered it through year two. Uh -huh. And she was also the math teacher. So uh, the only way for me to have an extra class with her was to do a kind of an independent study. But uh -huh. that, that makes a big difference when I and our, you know, first language teachers instill that sort of passion and enthusiasm. Right. Um, now, as I understand it, you you haven't always been a language teacher. You've been in another field. So how did learning languages, your interest in languages, shape your, your early career? Um, well, I went into advertising kind of by default. Um, I, I had wanted to be a language teacher, as you mentioned. Um, my passion for language carried into my undergraduate, and I ended up choosing Japanese to be my major. Um, Again, not even necessarily because I knew anything significant about Japan or Japanese, but simply because I was, it was my teenage self that just thought Japanese was going to be this important language in the late 80s when the Japanese economy was really booming. And I was thinking, you know, international relations or translator or something along those lines. 
Um, and then I went and I studied abroad and I really realized that I wanted to shift into education, that my experience had been, it had such a powerful impact on me, you know, being immersed in another culture, being forced to kind of get through my day in another language. And it really afforded me this opportunity to view my world through another lens and it shifted my thinking. Um, I actually had more shock coming back to the United States than I did um, going to another culture because I, I kind of expected it to be different when I went to Japan, but um, I didn't expect to be different myself when I came back. And that really impacted me. So I, I wanted to become a language teacher because I just kind of saw it as this opportunity to promote and contribute to cross-cultural communication and understanding. Um, when I went into my graduate studies, I, I focused on Japanese again, and I was supposed to graduate and and work for a uh, a foundation that had gotten a grant to coordinate a exchange program between U.S. and Japanese high school students. And just a few weeks before I graduated from graduate school, the grant fell through. And here I was in the middle of the summer, you know, teaching positions in high school Japanese are not, you know, are not very prevalent. It was very niche. So I ended up having to kind of shift my focus and and think to myself, okay, well, what do I want to do with my, what do I want to do with my language skills? What industry do I want to go into? I was living in California. And um, so I began to explore what my opportunities were and I discovered advertising. And there were a lot of Japanese corporations on the West Coast. And a lot of those corporations, their advertising agencies are there. And so I ended up working for the advertising agency that handles the national campaign for Toyota. It's an agency called Saatchi and Saatchi. And it was also the hub for the worldwide account. So Saatchi handled the Toyota advertising in over 200 different countries. And the worldwide account director was based in that LA office. And so because of my background in Japanese, they brought me on um, to work with the international, uh, with that uh, worldwide account director and on the national campaign and had an opportunity to work with the Saatchi office in Tokyo and things like that. So I was able to use my languages um, in that component, in that in that piece of it. Um, it eventually just became kind of a career in advertising, but that's kind of how I, I transitioned from language teacher to advertising career. So that's really cool. Um, you know, I, I had a sim similar experience with study abroad as well. That sort of piqued my interest in in language education and and wanting to share my passion for Spanish with with other people. Uh, I also think it's really cool how you use language as a way to get into an industry. We're always trying to impress upon our students how learning a language can be the the foot that gets you through the door in certain industries. Um, Most definitely, this world is getting smaller and smaller. Right. And, and knowing languages is just, uh, it's, it's so, I think, so overlooked. And a lot of, it's something that in our world, in the language professionals world, we see it all the time, but I think for your average person, it's still something, uh, no pun intended, like foreign to, to say, wow, you know, knowing languages other than English is a, a really big, can be a really big benefit to someone's uh, professional profile. And I, sometimes I think it's hard for us to see in the United States because, you know, we've got Canada to the north and Mexico to the south, but it's not like Europe where the countries are just you know, are so close to each other. They travel. People that live over there, they'll know five, six, seven different languages to speak with each other. So um, just kind of 
recognizing that need and that importance of communicating with your neighbors is so much more obvious to them. Whereas in the United States, we're we're a little bit kind of in this bubble, um, and it almost makes us a little bit myopic in our in our existence, and we don't realize how important it is. And one of the things that I really stress for my ESOL students is, you're coming to me to learn English, but don't you ever lose that your primary language that is so important for you that is um that's a leg up for you it's such it provides such opportunity so i think it's wonderful that you would encourage your students who are learning english as their second language to sort of maintain uh their uh their first language why don't you tell us a little bit about what you're doing out in the esol world um yes well so after my advertising career i um i did that for a few years then it took some time off to have my son. And in about 2004, I, I moved to Savannah to be near my family and um, and spend some time with my son. And I thought, oh my goodness, you know what? I always wanted to teach. And that was my chance to go back into teaching. And I taught third grade for several years. And then in 2016-17, um, the school where I teach was chosen to be a designated ESOL school. Um, the pop- ESOL population in this neighborhood had grown tremendously. Those students had been going to a different school um, in order to receive their ESOL services if their parents chose that. Of course, they were able to stay at our school if they wanted to, but if they wanted to go to that other site, they were able to. Um, but we, So we only had about 25 ESOL students here at my school. And then in 1617, they said, okay, we're going to make Hess an ESOL site. And our uh, ESOL population skyrocketed from about 25 students to about 135. Just in that, you know, from the May when it was announced till the August when we started, it it just exploded. And the the struggle was that uh, nobody was endorsed in our school, and so the district offered a ESOL endorsement to you know a certain number of teachers at each school uh, every, every year, and. In the second year of the program, I signed up for that ESOL endorsement. I The first year that we had ESOL students at our school, I had some in my classroom, and I tried my best. I tried all the tools in my toolbox to help them and support them um, and help them grow, but I knew that I needed to know more in order to be able to do that best. So, uh, so I ended up uh, getting my ESOL endorsement, and in the middle of that year, uh, because our numbers were continuing to rise, we earned another ESOL position here at Hess. And my principal asked me to transition from third grade into an ESOL position. And I and I agreed to do that. So I did that in 2018, and I've been doing ESOL ever since. And now we have almost 200 ESOL students at our school. We've got five teachers, a paraprofessional. So it's really become a very large part of our program here at Hess. So you've been in the ESOL world, it sounds like, for a little bit of for a good bit of time, and you've sort of seen the that part of education, especially early education, grow. Um, what advice do you have for ESOL teachers? Well, I think one of the most important things to know, as an just kind of a foundationally know as an ESOL teacher in terms of your role, um, is that it's not just about teaching the language. Um, that being an ESOL teacher is really about engaging families and making them feel like they're a part of a larger community and helping them help their children be successful. So you're not just a teacher, you're 
You're also an advocate for your students and for your families. And then on top of that, you're also kind of a coach. You are helping your uh, the classroom, your classroom colleagues support their students, um, support their students and their families who they may not know how to support as best they can. So it's a role that really has a community focus and you play a role that very much contributes to to your school culture. Um, and so I think that's one of the most important things for people who are going into to ESOL to know foundationally just kind of about your role. Uh, um, then just in terms of the uh, ESOL in Georgia, there are 140,000 ESOL students in Georgia. And um, I think that kind of looking to the future of ESOL, um, that it's really imperative that we make sure that ESOL is part of teacher preparation programs for our um, incoming teachers. It's part of professional development for our existing teachers because we need to make sure that all of these teachers are able to meet the unique needs of these students so that they can be successful, they can grow into their personal potential, and and they can have the kind of education that every that every student deserves. Um, ESOL students currently graduate at a lower rate than Georgia students as a whole, and we really need to work together to close that gap. And it takes a partnership between ESOL teachers and classroom teachers. And ultimately, we all become stronger teachers when we learn how to differentiate. And some of the skills that I've gained as an ESOL teacher are co- would be completely applicable to my non-ESOL students if I were to go back into just a regular grade level classroom. So ESOL is, is really about um, creating inclusive environments. It's about appreciating and acknowledging the diversity of our communities and just meeting the, the unique needs of the, of the various communities that make up our schools as a whole uh, so that we have a positive learning environment. So it sounds like you've thought a lot about ESOL from a sort of a 10,000 foot view. Mm -hmm. Tell us a little bit about some of the activities and the things you do in class on a day-to-day basis that have helped you be be a successful teacher in the ESOL classroom. Um, So just kind of my role uh, day-to-day in ESOL and at different, different schools implement ESOL in different ways. You know, some use a push-in model where ESOL teachers go into classrooms and support. Our class does a pullout model. So during a given time of, of the day here at my school, we have what's called flex time. And that is when our gifted students go out to gifted teachers. Our EIP students, which is our early intervention students, go to EIP teachers. And the ESOL students go to the ESOL teachers and work in small group to meet their individual needs. And what we do uh, at HESS is is we we follow along with what the teachers on the grade levels are doing in order to help support what they're trying to accomplish in terms of content and skills. But at the same time, we're differentiating that instruction so that we can build the language skills of our students as well. Um, one of the things that we really try to impress upon our classroom teachers as we work in partnership with them is that we are both working on content objectives in terms of, you know, what are the students learning about in science or what are they learning about in social studies? And also we're layering that with language objectives 
So what do we want these students to be able to do with their language based on kind of where they are in their proficiency? So that's what we're doing in the ESOL classrooms. So for instance, if my if I have a group of third grade students that come to me and I know that the third grade teacher is working on narrative writing or writing a story, I'll be working on that with my ESOL students as well, but I'll be doing it on the level that matches their proficiency so that I can intervene and help them grow in their language um, in both their basic language and also in their academic language. Do you do anything specific to assess proficiency? Do you do sort of a pre-test and a post-test? How do you track how their proficiency improves? Right. So it kind of goes back to how a student uh, gets into ESOL. Um, So when students register in the schools, they are asked questions about their home language. They're given a home language survey about kind of what is their primary language at home? What's the language spoken by the family in the home? And if a language other than English is identified, then we will give a screener. Um, it's, ca- it's called the WIDA screener. That's what we use here in the state of Georgia. And we assess their uh, speaking, listening, reading, and writing skills. And that will come up with a composite score. And that score will help determine if the student qualifies for ESOL. Then on a yearly basis, ESOL students in the state of Georgia take what's called the access test of English proficiency. And it's almost like a larger scale version of the screener. Um, And again, it tests their reading, writing, listening, and speaking. And it gives us information about their proficiency level in those four different domains so that we can identify what we call their can-dos. What can the student do in reading? What can they do in writing, listening, and speaking? And that helps us uh, kind of hone in on what we need to work on. I would imagine that when you teach students English as a second language, um, it's very different than when you're teaching, for example, uh, French or even Spanish in the United States and the fact that they are fully immersed in the English language. So when they leave your classroom, they're going back to an English speaking environment. When they're in the cafeteria, they're in an English speaking environment. Whereas my students, when they leave my classroom, they rotate out of a Spanish language environment into an English uh, speaking environment. How does that impact the way that you approach teaching? Does it have an impact at all? Or is it just sort of an added uh, enhancer, the the fact that they will be immersed in the language that you're teaching? Um, I mean, I see it as an added benefit because obviously always having that, uh, that interaction with their peers helps to build their, their basic interpersonal communication skills. Um, and so I think that that's really important when, when we, when we speak with classroom teachers about ways in which they can promote the growth of, of their students, like their students' language skills, we do talk about group work. We talk about not clustering the students that speak the same language all together, because what ends up happening is they'll just end up speaking that language again, not because we don't want them to, uh, know their their native language but because at you know in that moment we want to obviously be helping them grow into their english skills so we encourage group work um so that it'll train their ear it'll reinforce the communication skills they they also need to hear other linguistic models besides just their teacher you know uh, the sage on the stage or just the esol teacher and it really it really helps them when they are able to participate and not just spectate 
So uh, when they're when they're able to become part of a community, the stress diminishes. And I mean, ultimately, in our classrooms, we're trying to create community. And so um, I think when our students are are given opportunities to interact with their peers, it, it obviously reinforces what we are able to do in terms of helping them with their English language growth and their and their confidence as they as they move from that basic interpersonal communication into the more complex skills of academic language. I like what you said about participate over spectate. I think that's a great sort of catchphrase, participate over spectate. Uh, and to follow up what you said about creating community, what specific strategies do you use to sort of create that community when you have a group of, of students learning English as part of their, their academic experience and students who already know English quite well for their grade level? How do you merge those two populations uh, into this community? learning community? Well, you know, obviously in my ESOL classroom, I just have my ESOL students. But <clears throat> when we're talking with our classroom teachers, you know, even, even ESOL students aside, when at the beginning of the school year, one of the most foundational things that we do as teachers is create a classroom community that is, that is safe and that is a safe environment where students know that no matter what their strengths or their weaknesses are, they are appreciated and they are uplifted by those around them. And that is something that we encourage our teachers to do, to be supportive of their ESOL students in addition to every other student that's in their classroom. So really, um, it's just about creating a safe learning space for, for all students. And for our, for our ESOL students, um, it's about helping our our teachers have that approach where they can appreciate um, the cultural differences and they can teach their other students to appreciate the differences and being being just culturally responsive to to their ESOL students, um, not approaching modeling the behavior of not approaching ESOL students in a judgmental way. Um, being sensitive when someone is placed in an in an unfamiliar in an unfamiliar culture, and just teaching our teachers that um, your perspective on culture impacts your ability to serve those ESOL students effectively. And when when you appreciate who they are, where they come from, the experiences that they come from, understand that they might interact with you differently as a teacher because the educational culture in another uh, in another country might be different teaching our teachers all of those things helps to helps to build relationships and community in a classroom and a comfort zone where an ESOL student um, is able to thrive wonderful well we are so appreciative today of your time and thank you for all you do in the classroom with your students congratulations on your recent award as the Georgia teacher of the year well deserved thank and you so much I hope we can have you back on the podcast at a later date to continue this discussion. Absolutely. I would love to. I am passionate about foreign languages and about ESOL. So I am more than happy to come back and share. Great. Well, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the World Languages Collaborative Podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. And please give us a like and share this podcast with your colleagues and anyone interested in languages. To learn more about the World Languages Collaborative, contact Dr. Mark Linsky from Savannah Chatham County Public School Systems at mark.linsky at 
M-A-R-K-S-C-C-P-S-S.com. That's Mark, M-A-R-K, dot Linsky, L-I-N-S-K-Y, at S-C-C-P-S-S.com. Again, thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you next time.